Our culture feeds women all kinds of lies about who they are, what makes them valuable, and how they can find fulfillment. And that's why it is so critical that women and men understand Scripture's teaching concerning what God says about them. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more nations-minded, gospel-centered resources over at our website, Radical.net. In this message on Mother's Day, David Platt uses Psalm 113, as well as various other texts, to urge women in various life circumstances, singles, wives, mothers, grandmothers, widows, etc., to look to God's Word so that they might embrace God's good design for them, as well as His grace to them in Christ. Here's David with a sermon titled, The Word of God to Women, from Psalm 113. Well... I feel like I need to maybe introduce myself to some of you because you may not recognize me in this suit. So my name is David Platt. I'm one of the pastors here at NBC. I prefer more casual attire, but I also know that there are a lot of mothers and grandmothers who would prefer their pastor be a little more formal. So to honor you today for putting up with my t-shirts and collared shirts every other Sunday in the year, I thought I'd get dressed up. So for what it's worth, I feel like I'm choking right now, but if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, you can pull it up on a device, I want to invite you to open with me to Psalm chapter 113. And There are notes on our uh, mclanebible.org page for adults and for kids to follow along. If you'd like to pull those up as well, I encourage you to do that. Before I dive into this text today, let me say two quick things based on this last week. So one, many of you may have heard that the governor of Virginia announced Friday uh, that churches could potentially reopen as soon as next week. And I just mentioned that now. I'm going to address that in more detail at the end of our gathering. So hang on. Uh, We'll talk about more about that at the end. Second, I want to acknowledge that this has been a hard, emotional week. I trust for all of us, but particularly for our African-American brothers and sisters in our church. And I say all of us because we all, I trust, care about justice and grieve in its absence and experience in what I hope is a holy, God-honoring way, a hatred of evil and injustice. And if today wasn't Mother's Day, I would likely shift our direction in God's word in light of events in our country this last week. But I don't want to miss this opportunity specifically to encourage women in our church family. So we're going to wait a week and Lord willing, next Sunday, our plan is to think through issues of justice and racial empathy together on multiple levels as a multifaceted church family. For today, let me just say in particular to our African-American brothers and sisters that you and your families are not alone. We lament 
together. We abhor what is evil together. We long for what is good together. And we are committed to doing justice and loving mercy as a church together in our culture and our country. So I look forward to next week and letting the word speak into this picture in the world around us. But today, obviously, is Mother's Day, and I want us to hear God's word specifically to and about women. So about a week ago in our Bible reading, we read one of Heather and I's favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm chapter 113. So let me read it to us. It'll be up here on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Bible. The Bible says in Psalm 113, praise the Lord. Praise of servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. I remember reading those words in a hospital room after years of barrenness and longing for children, longing that led us to adopt our first son, Caleb, followed by shock and surprise when Heather became pregnant. And the day she gave birth to our second son in that hospital, I remember Heather and I reading those words together. But I also remember years of Mother's Day's before that, being really hard days. Like without question, we wanted to celebrate our moms as well as family, friends who were moms, had kids. But when it came time for moms to stand and be honored in the church, it felt so lonely to sit there. Because I wanted my wife to be standing and I'm looking over and she's holding back tears because she wants so badly to stand. And it got to the point where we just wanted to skip the day altogether. Or maybe not the day, but at least church, just so we don't have to sit through that moment. And as one of your pastors, I don't want there to ever be a Sunday when you don't want to be in a gathering of the church. And There are other reasons people don't always look forward to this day. Maybe because of a recent miscarriage. Or maybe you've lost your mom this last year. Maybe even as a result of this virus the last couple of months. Maybe you have an estranged relationship with your mom. Or a mom with one or more of your kids. Or maybe you're a mom who has lost a child 
maybe even recently, I think about Wanda Cooper and the heartache she is experiencing today. And I, I know there are moms all across our church who are familiar with that hurt. So I don't know what each of you may have walked through or are walking through right now as you come to this day, but I do know this. I want you to look forward every single week to gathering together with the church because you know there is balm to be found for your wounds every single week in God's word with God's people. Even in a unique gathering like we're in right now remotely. So here's what I want to do. And it's similar to something I did during my first year as pastor here. So I want to show you in the next few minutes a summary of what God says in his word to women. To all women, including moms, but not just moms. To all women of all ages. And part of the reason I want to do this is because I see so many lies in our culture being told to and about women. On top of that, I see so much devaluing of and even harm toward women in a Me Too world. It is heart-wrenching to see so many women hurt in so many ways, even or especially in the church. And I thought this week, well, I don't want to repeat some of the things I said a couple of years ago, but then I thought, actually, yes, I do. Like, I want to say these things over and over and over again in different ways because these truths need to drown out the lies that are being repeated day in and day out to women and to men about women in our culture. So I want us to hear what God says to and about women. So picture this like a tour through the Bible. And if you're a woman, I want to encourage you to write these things down and hide them in your heart and come back to them again and again and again. God's word to you. And if you're a man, I want to encourage you to write these things down. And as you do, I want to ask you this question. Do women in your life feel these truths in their hearts because of the way you treat them? Do women in your life feel these truths in their hearts because of the way you treat them? And I should also add, this is not just for adults. This is for teenagers, for kids. So I don't have the... Uh, the gift of Todd Talks, uh, but kids, like these truths apply to every woman of every age. So here are these truths, like precious five-year-old little girl to the extent of which you can pay attention during the next few minutes, I encourage you to, and teenage girls, likewise, little boys, teenage guys, like these truths need to drive the way you treat your mom, the way you treat your sister, the way you treat any girl you may date or one day marry. So let's dive in, and this will be a little different. We're not going to look at just one place in Scripture. We're going to look all over Scripture. So I invite you to either follow along in your Bible or on the screen here and write down these different references. So we'll start in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So this is the beginning of the Bible, the start of creation. God said... 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, we'll stop there. So stop number one on this journey through God's word to women. God says to every woman in the world. Right where you're sitting. God says to you, you are dignified and you are distinguished. To every woman in the world, you are dignified and distinguished by the design of God. So let's just start cutting through the lies of this world. To every woman in the world, you are dignified and your dignity is not dependent on your physical appearance. Your dignity is not dependent upon your career. Your dignity is not dependent upon your marital status. Your dignity is not dependent on any man or anyone's opinion, even your own opinion for that matter. No, to every woman in the world, God says, you are dignified by my design. You are created What did verse 27 say? In his image, in the image of God. You are like God in this sense that you resemble him. Like your desire to love and care, your ability to speak and work, your capacity to forgive and nurture and encourage, all of these things in you resemble the God in whose image you have been formed. Now, one might say, But the same thing could be said about man, and that's part of the point. So male and female, men and women, are both created in the image of God. And both are given, so to use the language earlier, or in verse 28, both are given dominion in the world to subdue and steward creation together. So God, from the very beginning of the Bible, is speaking directly against any kind of male or female superiority or dominance, which means in any culture, any country, any relationship where a man is thought to be better than woman or woman is thought to be better than man, in any culture, any relationship where a woman or a man is treated as inferior as an object to be used or abused, then that goes directly against the design of God. It is not right. It is never right to disparage or belittle women, according to God. Sexual inferiority or superiority, misogyny, male dominance, female exploitation, all of these things are sinful violations of God's word and there is no place for them anywhere in the world or in our lives. Men and women possess equal 
dignity before God and are both distinguished by God. God did not create gender neutral people. He created male and female, both distinguished. And this is so important amidst the confusion about gender in our culture as various women might be tempted to think, I wish I was a man or Various men might be tempted to think, I wish I was a woman to see that God has created you as a woman, as a man with divine dignity and distinction. Don't believe the lies of this world. God created you good, like very good, he actually says in Genesis 1, 31. And don't miss this, like we live in a culture where feminism is oftentimes equated with downplaying or outright denying this God-given distinction. So much of the message in our culture is that there's nothing uniquely wonderful about being a woman. When the Bible says there is, when God says from the very beginning of the Bible that you are dignified and distinguished, that you are beautifully formed by God as a woman in his image. Oh, even as I use that word, Beautifully, I don't let your mind immediately wander to the world's definition of beauty. You look in Proverbs 31, the picture of biblical womanhood there. We did this last year for those of you who were here, and you don't see hardly any mention of her physical appearance. The one thing that our culture exalts above all else. Our culture is screaming in thousands of ways. Businesses are spending billions of dollars, entertainment industry spending countless hours to convince women that their need for esteem, fulfillment, and significance is found in looking a certain way. And the word of God in Proverbs 31.30 resounds across our culture. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Deceitful, vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who knows she resembles God and represents God with distinguished dignity. To every woman in the world, you are dignified and distinguished. Which leads to the second stop on our tour. So one chapter later in Genesis 2, where God's word says to every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. To every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. So follow along with me in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Did you see that? 
Like from the very first verse we read, verse 18. Up until that verse, everything in the Bible was good. Everything. Very good, Genesis 1.31 says. Until you get to verse 18 of chapter 2 and God says, it is not good. And what's not good? That the man is alone. So according to God, man needs woman. And woman needs man. This is where we learn from the start of scripture that men and women are created to complement one another. Going back to the distinguished reality we've already discussed, we realize in Genesis 2 that men and women are distinct for a reason. And that distinction is more than just a difference in physical anatomy. Like This is not evolutionary accident here. This is not biological triviality. This is divine design. God creating man to need woman, woman to need man in many ways. And specifically, verse 24 says, in marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Now, I trust we realize that we are now going against the grain of another lie being sold in our country that attempts to redefine marriage when we do not have that right. God defined, God defined marriage from the very beginning of creation. Like who do we think we are to come along thousands of years later and say, We've come up with something better. No, and see, see why God defined marriage this way. It was for a reason. And the reason was greater even than the love and fulfillment that would experience, be experienced between a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5 quotes from what we just read at the end of Genesis 2 about man and woman coming together in marriage and then says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Oh, don't miss this. Like God from the very beginning of creation defined, designed a marriage between a husband and a wife to be a picture on the canvas of human history of his love for us. Husbands intended to be a picture of Christ in self-sacrificing love for a wife. Wives intended to be a picture of the church's glad love for Christ. Think about what this means for men and women in marriages. Like husbands, you show the world what the love of Christ looks like with the way you love your wife. So sacrifice your life every day to serve your wife because that's who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And wives to every wife in the world. So now come back to it. You're an invaluable treasure in marriage. Apart from whom marriage and this powerful picture of the gospel is not even possible. Contrary to what our world says, you are not optional as a wife in marriage. You are invaluable as a wife in marriage. And contrary to far too much Contemporary practice, you are not trivial in marriage. The church is not trivial. You are not trivial. And you are not to be treated lightly. The church is not to be treated lightly. You are a treasure in marriage to be cherished deeply. 
as Jesus cherishes his own church. To every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. Which then leads to the third stop on our tour. For part of the purpose of marriage is multiplication of more people made in the image of God. That's just the first command given to man and woman in marriage. We saw it earlier in Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So hear this word from God to mothers and grandmothers. God is using your life in your home in ways that reach far beyond your home. To mothers and grandmothers, God is using your life in your home in ways that reach far beyond your home. So at this point, biblically, we could go literally from page to page seeing mothers like Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel in just the first book in the Bible and then keep going on to see Naomi and Ruth, to see the mother in Proverbs 31 whose children rise up and call her blessed. Elizabeth, the mother of John. Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I want to tell you instead about Timothy. Timothy was a man who took the gospel all over the known world in his day. To Phrygia, Galatia, Mysia, Troas, Philippi, Berea, Athens, Thessalonica, Corinth, Macedonia, and Rome. In all of those places, Timothy played a pivotal part in the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church in the first century, eventually setting down to pastor in Ephesus. We have two books in the Bible named after him, specifically written to him. You say, why are you telling me about Timothy? I thought we were thinking about mothers and grandmothers. Well, we are. Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. As Paul writes this to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Why did Timothy have faith in Christ that resounded to the fame of Christ that made a massive difference in the world. As best as we know, Timothy's dad was likely not a follower of Christ. Timothy had sincere, authentic faith because he had seen it modeled and passed on to him by a mother and a grandmother in a home in ways that would reverberate far beyond that home. Mothers and grandmothers, I want to remind you that God is using your life in your family in ways that reverberate far beyond your family. And just like everything else we're seeing in God's word today, this is being undercut, undervalued, even contradicted in our culture. Now, to be clear, when I talk about home, the Bible's not saying here whether or not a uh, a wife or mother should work outside the home. We certainly don't know whether Timothy's mother or grandmother worked outside the home. That's not the point here. The point is God is saying, don't undervalue. Don't ignore the value of a mother's work in her children's lives, starting in her home. Yet we live in a day where even the idea, just the idea of being a mom, 
or prioritizing all that mothering involves is actually seen by some many as servile, second class, even a waste of someone's life. And I, I hope we realize that kind of thinking is not just biblically wrong, it is practically absurd. A few things are more important in this world than the formation of children, which is the foundation upon which so much in this world is built. Like being a mother, grandmother, is in no way servile, second class, or a waste. It is a wonderful calling to build the next generation. This is not intellectually restraining. This is the highest teaching and training that exists in the world. This is not a limitation or a waste of a woman's life or gifts. This is the application of those gifts in ways that lead to the multiplication of good for children and all they will do in the world in ways that will carry on far after you or even they are gone. I have yet to meet a grandmother or mother who has regretted pouring her life into her children. And I have yet to meet a child who wishes his or her mother or grandmother would not have raised him or her in love. I guarantee you, Lois and Eunice here did not regret pouring their faith, their life into their children, to their son, into their grandson. And I guarantee you they had no idea how their work in their home would echo far beyond their home. So to mothers and grandmothers, hear God saying that he is using your life in ways you cannot imagine. So press on, persevere amidst the long days, amidst the sleepless nights, amidst the delightful days and the dark days, trusting that your love for your children and your grandchildren is never, ever, ever in vain. Just hear that coming from God. And be encouraged in particular here, by the way, single moms or moms whose husbands are not followers of Christ. I notice how Timothy's dad is not mentioned here. Even if you are doing this task alone or especially if you are doing this task alone, know that God is your ever-present help. And when you feel like you are falling short, know that God promises to sustain you, to strengthen you, to uphold you with his right hand, and to use your life in ways that you can't see in the day-to-day struggle. Lean into him and his love for you, his promises to you. Now, All of that leads to this next affirmation, knowing that not every woman and not every mom is a wife. So hear God's word to singles. Your life is a unique and beautiful portrayal of the gospel for a unique and powerful purpose in the world. To singles. And this will apply to both single men and single women, but speaking particularly today to single women, your life is a unique and beautiful portrayal of the gospel for a unique and powerful purpose in the world. So we just talked a few minutes ago about how marriage is a picture of the gospel. And if I'm hearing that and I'm single, 
I want to portray the gospel in my life. I might be thinking, so does that mean I'm limited in my role in portraying the gospel in the world? And that is not the case because your life as a single is a unique and beautiful portrayal of the gospel in many ways. I'll mention two here. One, your life, as long as you are single, portrays the Christian's ultimate identity in Christ. Like many in the world would say, we need someone, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, or girlfriend, whoever, whatever, to complete us when the Bible clearly teaches that we are complete regardless of marital status. The Bible teaches in places like, we don't have time to turn to all these, but Isaiah 54, John 3, Revelation chapter 19, the Lord is a husband to his people who is more satisfying and more eternal than any husband or wife could ever be. And in this way, there is a sense in which the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ are even more powerfully portrayed in singleness than in marriage. Singleness says to the world, Christ is my pleasure and in him I have everything I need. In a way that marriage, though good, in all the ways we've already seen, does not portray in the same way. This is why Amy Carmichael in her singleness once said, there is joy, joy found nowhere else when we can look up into Christ's face when he says to us, am I not enough for thee, mine own, with a true yes, Lord, thou art enough. Singleness for both women and men portrays the Christian's ultimate identity in Christ and singleness portrays the So this is the second thing, the Christian's eternal identification with the church. So the Bible teaches that all familial relationships in this world, including marriage, as wonderful as these relationships are, they're passing away. Only a relationship with Christ and his church is eternal. Jesus himself taught in Matthew chapter 22 that marriage is temporary, but relationship with him is timeless. So married people are only married in this life then for billions and trillions of years, we will all be single. So singleness, in this sense, uniquely and beautifully portrays our eternal state with Christ as a member of his church. And, to just keep going, serves a unique and powerful purpose in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we were just about to read and study together when this pandemic hit, but that chapter in the Bible exhorts singles to stay single as long as possible because there is a level at which you're less distracted in your affection for Christ and less hindered in the mission of Christ. So Lord willing, we'll get back to that chapter in due time, but let me just list the names of single men and women in the Bible and think, is there a uniquely powerful purpose in God's good plan for singleness? When you think about Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Mary, Martha, Miriam, Lydia. And we could keep going. Single men and women, and women in particular today, you may be tempted to think on this Mother's Day that because you are not married or because you are not a mother, 
then you are not fulfilling God's design in some way. But do not believe that lie. Your life, just let this soak in, is a unique and beautiful portrayal of the gospel today for a unique and powerful purpose in the world. That leads right into our next stop on this tour. God says to the waiting, I am your all-powerful, all-wise hope. What does God's word say to women who are waiting? God says, I am your all-powerful, all-wise hope. Now, I use that word waiting in different ways. Maybe that waiting involves what we were just talking about, resting in singleness, even as you may desire marriage. Or maybe that waiting involves longing for children when for any number of reasons you are unable to have them. You know, it's interesting. The Bible is filled with stories of women who struggled with the heartache of not having children for many years. Think about Sarah, Abraham's wife, 90 years old before she became pregnant in Genesis 18. That's a long time. We see infertility in Isaac's wife, Rebecca, Genesis 25, 21. We don't have time to look at all these places. Jacob's wife, Rachel, Genesis 29, 31. We see Hannah weeping for a child in the start of 1 Samuel. Elizabeth longing for a child in the start of the book of Luke. Needless to say, women who struggle to have children biologically don't find themselves alone in the Bible. And I've shared, Heather and I, familiar with this journey, but this is why I emphasize this language. God is your all-powerful, all-wise hope. If you are struggling to have children, I want to encourage you that God is indeed all-powerful. A part of the purpose of God in many of these stories of barrenness is to increase the faith of these women and their husbands as they look to God, as they trust in God. Infertility is a reminder that God alone can open the womb and provide children. He alone is all powerful. And just like we read in Psalm 113 verse nine, he has power to give the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. But that's also the struggle, right? Because if God is able to do this, then why does he sometimes not do it? And that was certainly what Heather and I were praying together for years. Like, God, we know, we believe you're able to give us children, so why are you not doing it? And the answer to that question leads us to the second part of this truth from God's word. He is all wise. So waiting leads us to trust not just in the power of God, but in the wisdom of God, to believe that in his wisdom, God is working in ways that we cannot see and may not understand. And you know, it's ironic. Heather and I were talking about this on our date night, makeshift date night at home this last week. Like God used years of waiting to lead us to adopt, then in miraculous ways to have a child biologically, then to adopt again, have another child biologically. He used all of that to lead us in a way we definitely had not planned to begin an adoption process last year to which we were matched with a precious little boy and three days away from going to pick him up and bring him into our home when a global pandemic hit. And you know what we're doing? We're waiting again. And we're praying 
again, and our prayers are the same. Like, God, we know you have power to make this happen. To bring us to our child on the other side of the world, so why don't you do it? And we know, we know, we know he's wise and he's faithful. He's shown that time and time again, but I'm just gonna be honest, it still doesn't make waiting easy. Not for me, anyway. Like, I'm pleading every day, God, please make a way where there is no way so I can bring my son home. Yet as I'm pleading, I'm trusting, and I'm telling my wife that our God is our all-powerful, all-wise hope. There's so many different directions here. Like, maybe, maybe your waiting involves children who may not be walking with God right now. Like as a mom in Christ, there's nothing more you want for your children than for them, for them to be in Christ. So for those of you who are waiting in this way, I exhort you to press in, persevere in praying. And don't stop praying with hope and longing for your child's salvation, knowing that God hears your prayers day in and day out. I say to every person who is waiting, and particularly every woman on this Mother's Day who's waiting in some way, don't stop pleading honestly, going before the Lord and believing in every moment that he is your all-powerful, all-wise hope. Keep going, number six. God's word says to the widow, God is your never-failing, always faithful provider. To the widow, God is your never-failing, always faithful provider. I know there are women all across and beyond this church whose husbands have died, maybe even in this last year, and again, maybe even over the last couple of months due to this virus. And I just want to remind you straight from God that he is your never-failing, always-faithful provider. I got just thinking of Widows in my mind right now, like God has been careful to give clear, continual, and comprehensive instructions in his word for your care. He loves you. He's committed to you. All throughout the Old Testament, God promises or commands his people to provide for widow, widows in certain ways. We saw that at the end of this last year in Ruth and Naomi. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, God tells the church how to honor and help widows in concrete ways. The book of James says true religion looks after widows because God, Psalm 68, verse five, is the protector of widows. He's your protector. He's the one who upholds the widow specifically in Psalm chapter 146, verse nine. And the one in whom the widow can always trust in Jeremiah 49, 11. It's to the widow on this Mother's Day, hear God reminding you right now that he is your never failing, always faithful provider. Never failing, always faithful. A few final stops on this tour. Seven to women who are hurting, God sees your sorrow and hears your cries. So I've already mentioned many of the ways various women might be hurting today. So to those ways and so many others I haven't even mentioned, to women who are hurting, God sees your sorrow and hears your cries. Did you know that in all of ancient Near Eastern literature, including 
the Bible and beyond the Bible. As far as I know, there's only one woman whom deity addresses directly by name. It's in the Bible, but it's not a woman we think of as one of the most significant women in the Old Testament. Instead, it's a woman named Hagar, essentially a slave who had been harshly treated. She fled and found herself in a wilderness in Genesis 16, and God came to her and called her name. And listen to her response in Genesis 16, 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Then later, at another moment in the wilderness, when her baby boy looked like he was about to die, God spoke to her again, saying in Genesis chapter 21, verse 17, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. To women who are hurting, God sees your sorrow and hears your cries. Like I read these verses, see this truth, and I just think about women today who are hurting in a variety of different ways. Some who feel belittled. Others who feel broken. Some women who feel abandoned. Some who have been abused. Others who feel alone. And you wonder if God sees your sorrow or hears your cries. And I want you to hear him say, absolutely, he does. Remember Psalm 56 we read weeks ago now, verse eight, you kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. I love that. God counts your tossings in the night. Now, women, do you ever have a restless night's sleep? Know this, your God on high knows every time you tossed and turned. He knows every single tear you shed. And he doesn't just know and see and hear you. He promises to help and uphold you in the midst of your hurt, especially when you've been hurt by others' sin against you. As well as your sin against him. So, next truth God's word says to women who are struggling with sin and guilt, God forgives you by faith. To women who are struggling with sin and guilt, God forgives you by faith. Like, do you ever feel like you're failing as a mom or as a wife? As a woman in this way or that way? Do you ever feel like you just can't measure up to whatever standard you have in your mind? Maybe you look on Facebook, you see all these other people that seem to have it all together, and you start to think, I just can't keep up. And you start thinking of this area or that area, all these areas where maybe you feel like you're falling short, and before long you're weighed down either by sin or just a low-level sense of guilt that you can't seem to shake. And there's all kinds of places I could go to in Scripture here, but one woman who immediately comes to my mind is Rahab. This woman who is known for her faith in the Bible as an example of 
faith. This woman whose name is listed in the family lineage of Jesus. Yet we remember that Rahab's profession at one point was a prostitute. Like you didn't want to be Rahab when you looked at her Facebook profile. And the same could be said for a variety of other women in scripture. You think about the woman caught in adultery, about to be stoned. Think about Eve from the very beginning of the Bible. But this is a book where from Genesis 3 on, we see sin in women and we see love and grace in God. Sin in women, love and grace in God over and over and over again. And this is great news on Mother's Day because not one woman listening right now is without sin. Not one woman or man is without sin or can measure up to God's holy standard. As a result, you, we, all, I deserve separation from God. But the good news of the Bible is that God on high loves you. No matter what could be included on your Facebook profile, and he sees it all, not just that which you want to project. He sees it all, knows it all, all the secrets that no one else in the world may know. God knows it all, and God loves you. And God on high has made a way for you to be forgiven of all your sin, to have the slate wipe clean, you to be free from all your guilt. God has sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin, to rise from the grave in victory over death. And God has not given you a list of things to do in order to earn his love. God has not called you to measure up. This is such good news. God has called you to trust in the one who measures up for you, to trust in his love and his lordship over your life. And if you have never called out for God to save you from your sin and guilt, if you've never put your faith in him as Lord, then I want to invite, urge you to do that today. Like right where you're sitting today, to make today the day. Women and men, if you are not right before God today, by his grace, you can be right before God, restored to relationship with God, where you experience forgiveness of all your sin, freedom from guilt. And know this, so Christian sister, especially in those moments when you are reminded that you are not perfect, when your sin may rear its head in any number of different ways in your thoughts or your desires or your words or your actions, remember, do not forget that Jesus has paid the price for that sin. And you stand before God forgiven, a child of his by faith. That's the greatest news any one of us could hear on Mother's Day. Which leads us to our last two stops. Stop number nine, to women who are facing the impossible. God is your strength. Are there any women listening today who feel like you can't do it all? Who feel like marriage or motherhood or singleness are hard? Any women who feel like these days over the last couple of months have been even harder? Do you ever feel like life in this world of sin and suffering is overwhelming? If so, hear God's word to probably the most prominent woman in the Bible, Mary, as she considered a task for which she did not feel worthy and which she did not see a way for it to happen. And God said to her in Luke 137, nothing will 
be impossible with God. In other words, that to which I call you, I promise to empower you. And Mary responds in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. So let it be to me according to your word. So if I could, I'd I guess I'd like to share some bad news with women all across this remote gathering today. Here it is, on your own, you cannot do that which God has called you to do. You cannot be the single woman God has called you to be. You cannot be the wife God has called you to be. The mom God has called you to be. You cannot be the woman God has called you to be. But here is the good news. God has not called you to do any of these things alone. That to which he calls you, God promises to empower you. So to any woman who feels overwhelmed right now, be overcome by this reality. The God of the universe is your strength. And based upon that reality, hear this final word to women on Mother's Day, to every sister in Christ, do not underestimate your significance in making the gospel and glory of your God known in the world. To every sister in Christ, do not underestimate your significance in making the gospel and glory of your God known in the world. So I wish at this point we had time to do a whole other survey. All the women whom God used in the Bible for the display of his goodness and glory in the world, from Abigail to Deborah to Esther in the Old Testament into the New Testament. I don't think people realize how radical Jesus and Christianity was regarding women in the first century. Like in ancient Greece, a respectable woman couldn't even leave the house unless she was accompanied by a man. A wife couldn't eat or interact with males. Women had the social status of slaves and ancient Rome wasn't much different. And sadly, I trust we realize there are many places in the world where these realities remain for women. Like I have friends, we have church members around the world who live in conditions like these today. And into that kind of the culture in the first century, Jesus stepped on the scene and raised the status of women to entirely new heights in his interactions with Mary and Martha, a Samaritan woman at the well, scores of other women where Jesus contradicted any anti-female culture and set a standard for the church to follow, which is why we see Lydia, Phoebe, Priscilla, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Yodia, countless other unnamed women whose lives were instruments in God's hands for the spread of the gospel and glory of God through the world in Scripture. And I think about all the ways this plays out places around the world today. I think about unique and essential roles women have in the church and the ministry of the church and the mission of the church reaching women all around the world. I think about, oh, there's so many different examples going to my mind. We don't have time. But all, all of this brings us, though, to this reality. For everyone who believes the Bible, let me speak directly to brothers in Christ here at McLean Bible Church. May you and I never underestimate the significance of our sisters in making the gospel and glory of our God known right here in Metro Washington, D.C. and among the nations. McLean Bible Church family, let's nurture a culture where women are set up 
to thrive in ministry, in homes and workplaces, in the church and the world. And sisters in Christ, according to God's word, do not underestimate your significance in making the gospel and glory of your God known in the world. Believe this word, not the lies of this world. Believe this word and follow his ways, not the ways of this world. Spend your life as a woman for the spread of God's worship in the world. So let me ask you to bow your heads with me. And as you do, as you bow your heads, just right where you're sitting, right there, I wanna ask everyone a question, woman, man alike, no matter what age, the most important question I could ask anyone on Mother's Day is do you know God? And do, you, do you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Do you know that you are forgiven of all your sin? You've been restored to relationship with him. Do you know that if you were to die today, you would have eternal life in heaven. Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? And if you don't, then I want to invite you just right now with your head bowed and eyes closed like just to pray, God, today is the day I confess I've sinned against you. Today I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He rose from the dead so that I could have life. So today I put my trust in you. Today I enter into relationship with you as Lord of my life. Lead me as a woman, lead me as a man for your glory and my good. Now and forever. Oh, I pray that many would be putting their faith in Christ right now. Think about moms who I know people are praying for to come to know Christ, that today would be the day. And not just moms, anyone. That's where I wanna, I wanna give you just a moment in quiet reflection there. And, and women, I just want you to let these truths soak in. Just hear God speak these truths over you. And men, I just wanna ask you to pray. God, how can I show these truths better in the way I love women, care for, treat women in my life? Oh God, we pray that you would lead us to be the women and the men you've created us to be. We pray particularly today you would help us to honor women in all the ways we've just seen in your word. We pray that our lives and our homes and our church would be a reflection of your word to and about women. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, you can find more gospel-centered resources on similar topics as today's sermon. Wives and mothers, manhood and womanhood, children and parenting, and even singleness and dating, all at our website, Radical.net. And while you're there, feel free to download the free discussion questions that accompany every sermon. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us there at Radical.net.